Hey everyone, welcome to the Green Scene Podcast. I'm Jeremy Safran. This week on TGSP, we call up Brett Wilson. Now, most of you know his name from Dragon's Den, a show where you go to raise capital after pitching your ideas. We begin with Brett Wilson, the Den's most prolific dealmaker. I'm very comfortable. I, I would too. do this deal by myself. I like you guys, I like the business. I'm gonna give you half a million dollars for a quarter of the company. Are you interested? Yes, we will accept the deal. All right. After years of investing in the energy sector, this billionaire is seeing the opportunity in cannabis. You know, about a year and a half ago, a light went off for me that said, this industry is now more than inevitable. And later, Brett talks about his investment strategy. I have taken a portfolio approach to the investments and I'm just looking at my current list of what I own mm -hmm. across the portfolio. Brett Wilson has an interesting strategy of investing. When he was on the Dragon's Den, Brett said that he was looking for unique individuals with unique ideas. Brett is also proof that it is possible to succeed in business without losing your principles. Well, in fact, that's sort of the essence of what I called my point of differentiation on that goofy television show that I did a little while ago. And uh, I often said that I tend to, based on experience, but right. I tend to invest in the jockey, not the horse. And the analogy is the jockey being the quarterback, the entrepreneur, the horse being the business plan. And the issue is that horses trip and stumble and they die. So there's a, a series of problems with, and I don't mean anything, I don't mean to fire up the horse industry on this topic. Yeah, absolutely. But the real point is that business plans are almost always wrong. And the question is, are they wrong on the second day or the third day of the business plan? And you have to be able to adapt. It's how quick can you adapt? How quick, how nimble are you in terms of uh, making changes that are necessary to make the market or the business product service, whatever it is you've got, adapt to the market as it unfolds and evolves. And uh, I mean, obviously, at one time, uh, you know, Netflix kind of laughed at uh, at Blockbuster and their business plan. And of course, there was people at the Westin who were dismissive of Airbnb. You got to be able to navigate change, and that's sort of the essence of my comment about the quarterback. So when I make investments on Dragon's Den, my pitch there, my issue there, was I always wanted to learn about the person. And I can tell you, some of the other dragons would roll their eyes going, why do we have to keep talking about how much time and how much money have you invested in this product? There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. It's how, I want to understand the person, the passion, the history, the future of their involvement in the idea, the business, the product, the service, whatever it is. I'm less interested in trying to apply my knowledge, which is limited, to the 150 different businesses that we're coming to Dragonson. After years of investing inside the energy sector, Brett says there was a moment where he realized what an opportunity the cannabis industry really is. About a year and a half ago, a light went off for me that said, this industry is now more than inevitable. It's becoming mainstream. And I knew that the, if you will, the quiet side um, the dark side, the backstreet side of the cannabis industry, the question was, does 2% or 10% of our population um, use cannabis right. on an infrequent basis? And as I started to explore, it became obvious to me that that percentage was much larger than most people would think or contemplate. 
No, mm-hmm. it, it was just sort of a quiet industry in that sense. It was illegal, uh, but it wasn't immoral. And so I started to look closer at that. I, you know what? There's opportunity here. And with the federal government saying we're going to come down and legalize recreational, I looked at that and said this industry is now inevitable and I'd like to make a strategic investment with my resources, which is my people, my staff, and my capital, into this space. It didn't matter that I wasn't a consumer. Brett says that not only will he invest in the industry, but he's fallen in love with the cannabis space and the unique people inside of it. I need hours to explain my passion for the cannabis space in the sense that I completely fell in love with the overall industry in the sense that there was so many unique characters, people, businesses, opportunities um, that were coming our way. And Mm -hmm. as much as I wasn't a consumer of the product, I knew that this industry was in its infancy. There's no question. Because cannabis was an illegal drug, and in many places it still is, Brett says he wants to see more research and to completely understand the benefits and the downsides. There's no question that there's been no, other than in Israel, no true research done. And I have a daughter who's a research scientist, and she's looking at some of the studies that I put in front of her. And she said, Dad, these aren't defensible research studies. These are anecdotal. There's a lot of information that suggests that, you know, many of the neurological disorders benefit from cannabis. There's neurological um, sleep and uh, intimacy and uh, stress. Um, and the joy and fun and there's many different aspects of the human condition that are impacted by cannabis. So the question is, how do you do research when you've only got an illegal drug to work from? And that's mm-hmm. really the essence of where I said, you know what, the evolution is to bring proper discipline to the research side of the medical cannabis. So I pitch and say I want research. And second, my other pitch when I'm talking to businesses and raising profile of my interest in cannabis is I want reasonable consumption. Right. And people challenge me on how can you test what's reasonable. I say, well, let's start with the conversation about reasonable. First of all, minimum age. Mm-hmm. I happen to think that the age of 25, uh, like it or lump it, is probably not a bad starting point based on what I understand the medical research has been to date. So, but it sounds like the provinces are generally lining up around the same drinking age, saying mm-hmm. that you know, if you're old enough to drink, you're old enough to smoke cannabis. Well, I'm not saying that the cannabis or that the legal drinking ages for uh, are correct for alcohol. So, I'm not sure that those are necessarily the right benchmark, especially when I again, it's it's far from perfect research, but if the human brain is still developing and it's adversely affected by cannabis, depending on consumption amounts and the type, um, then why wouldn't we leave our brains alone? But Absolutely. then there's the whole world of addiction. There's a whole world, and I do a lot of work uh, with several addiction treatment programs. So there's lots of conversation about the getaway, the gateway drug, opiates, and, and that's another world mm-hmm. unto itself. But just to go back to the big picture of reasonable consumption, minimum age, and maximum dose. How do we control how many milligrams of whether it's CBD or sativa or uh, THC or whatever whatever it is you're taking by by strain or product or whatever, how do you measure how much you're really taking unless you're coming out of what I would call the regulated environment, which is medical and ultimately recreational. But we need to have conversation about minimum age and maximum consumption to have a thoughtful conversation about what I call reasonable consumption. 
The government of Canada plans to place relatively high restrictions on the ability to market and brand products in a way that makes them attractive to youth or the glamorization of cannabis use. We asked Brett about these restrictions and the market as he actively invested within new technology in the cannabis industry. How do you go about branding the right. point of differentiation when you've got the sheer stupidity of government saying, yep. we think that by making cannabis a brand like Coca-Cola, that we're going to encourage irrational, unreasonable consumption. So we have to step in and make sure that in Ontario, for example, the Alberta Liquor Control Board, you know, one of the most mon- you know, inane places for control and regulation of cannabis, yeah. they're going to have the right to distribute. And again, I just think of that as sheer stupidity. There's no, there's no logical reason when we could have a flourishing industry uh, with government control, Mm-hmm. But the dispensary business, I'm a key investor in Tokyo Smoke. I it's a lifestyle brand. And we are today an upscale, a generation three coffee shop as we evolve into the experience of having a coffee in a branded uh, outlet. We're just opening a new store, another one in Calgary, another one in Toronto just opened, another one in Calgary is coming, and we'll be doing global, Rome and Seattle and London and some really cool places. But we're going to build a point of differentiation brand. And sorry, today we sell coffee and we sell accessories, but we sell high end branded accessory. Believe it or not, we took backlash. The stupidity of social media at times uh, enjoyed itself to the ultimate when we announced we had a ten or fifteen thousand dollar bong. And right. believe it or not, we got backlash on social media saying this is stupid, how can this be? This makes no sense, blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, just a minute. When Ferrari announces their next model, nobody goes, Oh, this is stupid. I'd rather yeah. buy a I'd rather buy a Volkswagen Beetle. Why are you doing this to me? But the potheads um and some silliness erupted. And of course it dismissed itself quite quickly when the irrational behavior got washed away with reality. But we we sell a wide range of highly differentiated, high quality branded products under the Tokyo Smoke label. And the point there is that the hope is that we will be a distributor for recreational marijuana in due course. Now, right, right. How is this all evolving relative to the, the distribution model? Well, we may have to pick up shop, and if we can't be in a given province, we might have to have two in another province. So, yeah. again, we'll be adaptive to, to the marketplace as it evolves. Now, as the cannabis industry evolves, Brett says he can only base the evolution on his own experience, like the time he took a cookie with his daughter. You know, as people come out of the closet in terms of their consumption, as people, uh, the stigma is removed, the question of morality is discussed and removed. You know, we've had doctors, and I don't have the exact stats, but I'm sure you've seen them, where Mm -hmm. we've seen the percentage of doctors willing to prescribe marijuana has gone up by a factor of two or three in the last five years. Oh, yeah. So we have a level of acceptance in the medical community over the possible efficacy and the certainty in terms of a willingness to try it. You know, if you're going to do supplements, you're going to do naturopathics, you're going to do um, holistic treatments, then why wouldn't you add in a not yet proven, again, the science hasn't all been put together, so there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, and there's a lot of individual experiential evidence that's all real. You're not going to dismiss that for a moment. But as that market becomes more discussed, more tangible, more real, um, consumption levels go up. 
So we've got the evolution from the back alley to the front street. We've mm-hmm. got, uh, you know, I sat with my daughter as we were consuming edibles. You know, again, I might have had a quarter of a cookie and she might have had half a cookie. Mm-hmm. But the conversation of having a marijuana moment with my own daughter five years ago was foreign to me. I wouldn't have thought that was even possible. So I use my anecdotal experience and multiply that by thousands and thousands across the country. So as medical cannabis becomes more and more accepted, consumption goes up. And then, of course, as recreational turns the corner, uh, it's a game changer. As we continue to explore the industry on TGSP, I find it fascinating that there are so many opportunities in this market. It's not just but an oil anymore. Brett took a portfolio approach to his investments within the industry, ensuring that he is diversified. So in my own world, I take in a portfolio approach to the investments, and I'm just looking at my current list of what I own mm-hmm. across the portfolio. And it looks like there's uh, close to 30 distinct investments, mm-hmm. and so different companies, and they range from a medication securitization system where you lock the box or the bottle or the pill. Um, so for delivery purposes, it comes right. with a passcode. We've got a consulting services firm that is focused on HR issues around the cannabis culture and how do you test, how do you integrate cannabis testing and conversation with your staff. We've got another business that's in um, um, uh, on an online tool for educating people in the world of cannabis. So I've, I've participated in a number of different aspects. And again, that's part of my learning curve. And right. I'm certainly a, I'm an early stage investor in the number of the grow ops or the LPs. Brett has no plans to stop investing in the industry. And he talks about the fund that he put together called Greenacre Capital. Last week, they just closed a $25 million raise. What's the strategy? Brett says they want to invest in other channels within the industry. It's a private fund. It was put together. Um, a young guy that I brought into the investment banking industry, I met him when he was in high, or just out of high school, he was in university, right. uh, Tyler Stewart and his partner, Matt Shalhoub, who put together this fund. And there's two or three major investors. There's uh, York Plains. There's mm-hmm. uh, another private individual. Um, I think Altopia or uh, Afria has participated, as has the uh, the inimitable Lauren Gertner, uh, right. his son. And he and his son put uh, Tokyo Smoke together. His son is the key holder. The key of the growth of that future of that business, but Lauren's an advisor and investor in Green Acre, and then I stepped in in backing the young guy Tyler Stewart. And for me, it's a pretty significant investment. And um, you know, we raised twenty-five million dollars in the first round. I think we've got capacity to close over the next while. We might take in another three, four, five million dollars. We've had people knocking on the door for that. But that fund is dedicated to the non-LP investments. So they will not, unless a particularly unusual opportunity comes along, they will not be investing in the LP itself. It'll be in distribution, it'll be in other channels, it'll be equipment, it'll be services, it'll be other products, uh, whether it's edibles, oils, whatever, uh, vape tools. Uh, There's all sorts of other areas, as you know, in the cannabis space than just the LP. So Green Acres dedicated to the non-LP investment opportunities. And, uh, you know, we, we started with a 20% capital draw. Another one just happened this week. So the guys are actively investing the capital right. in what will probably be 20 to 25 different investments at the end of the day. As we continue to look within investment strategy, there is a lot of money to be made in this industry, but there's also a lot of money to be lost. So we asked Brett what his strategy would be like if he was an average Joe putting his hard-earned money into the cannabis industry. 
You know, I think it's a buy and hold strategy. And so if someone needs liquidity, it might be a mistake to go in. I took positions in a couple of stories that, uh, I mean, I'll just use Abcan as an example. When they went, uh, not Abcam, uh, Canamet, when they went public, I bought in the IPO. Stock dropped, I bought a bunch more. Stock dropped again, I bought a bunch more. I was right. in the story, and uh, I'm not bothered by the fact that my original investment fell. Now, it happens to have recovered a bit, but I take a five in a portfolio like this in the nascent industry, it's just, I mean, here's a, here's a product that's got consumer acceptance, but it's unbranded, unregulated, right. and about to be regulated, about to be branded. It's, an, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be exposed. It's one of the reasons that canopy growth might have what appears to some to be a, an outlandish multiple, but the flip side is they can use their currency to underpin value by acquisition. They can do it by raising equity. Um, there's lots of tools available for continuing um, what I'd call premium uh, premium uh, valuations in the marketplace. I saw it. I was a specialist in one product, energy. Now, the oil and gas industry in Canada is an incredibly complicated industry, but that's what we were good at. And there were stories that were expensive, and there were stories that were cheap. And there was one of my partners said, I want to buy the expensive stories because they figured out how to grow. Right. And so maybe canopy growth is a better buy than someone who's trading at, uh, you know, a fraction of that for uh, it's under against underlying value. So there's a buyer, there's a premium for brand in terms of the public companies. There's a premium for management. There's a premium for board, board of advisors. Yeah. There's a premium for their position in the marketplace. And uh, canopy growth looks like it's lined up and picked up a bit of premium from all of those. But well, that's where it'd be a risky strategy to pick a stock. Thanks for joining us on the Green Scene Podcast this week. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe to our channel. Also, remember last week's episode? We had the Green Organic Dutchman on. It's pesticide-free organic growing, and I can't stress that enough. They just announced an additional $10 million financing pre-IPO. If you're interested, Dave Kearns, an advisor with Richardson GMP, knows about their story, and his contact information is up on our website. Go to www.thegreenscenepodcast.com to check out more, check out our show notes, and we'll catch you next week.